What's up, everybody? This is the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jay Grow with Dogs 24-7. With me is Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell, also of Dogs 24-7. Full show, as always, we're going to talk a little bit about the scrimmage, what, what we heard from that scrimmage and what it means for Georgia going into the 2019 season. We're going to talk a little schedule, uh, first three big opponents on Georgia's schedule, first three major opponents on Georgia's schedule. We're going to toss some recruiting. Georgia got a big commitment over the weekend in Cedric Van Pran, uh, four-star center out of uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, and, and Sam Pittman does it again. Uh, but before we get to all that, guys, uh, how was the weekend, Rusty? How, how did everything go for you and, and what you got going on? Man, I have learned that doing TV, which I'll do next weekend at Corky Kell, is a lot more than I ever imagined. Movie star. No, not about all that now, but three hours <laughs> on a conference call Saturday morning and three hours last night. So that's a lot, man. Um, you know, I said, hey, I said, yeah, sure, I can do all this. You start talking about having to know uh, 12 teams from top to bottom and, and, and it's going to be a challenge, but man, there, there's so much that goes into something like that. I had no idea, but looking forward to watching. I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but looking forward to some real high school football. Got a chance to go Friday night to see Paulding County versus South Paulding. And, uh, obviously was there to watch smile Munden, the 2021 linebacker out of Paulding County, who is a very, very big Georgia target. And look, man, when you see a six foot three and a half, 214 pound, linebacker take a jet sweep 81 yards to the house and nobody could catch him that was it was pretty damn impressive and it shows you why we're so high on 24 7 sports and why georgia uh, is so high on him right now it is definitely in my opinion a georgia and clemson battle early on his junior season i'll tell you what man conference calls and and i don't mean to skip over the 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 interesting part there which was smile munden which that that's pretty insane but conference calls are right up there with most people when it comes to a trip to the urologist or proctologist or whatever i don't think anybody ever tells me they love a good conference call i'm gonna have to worry about them a little bit so i definitely feel you there kit what's going on with you man well this last uh weekend before college football through uh Threw some ribs on the grill. Uh, Man, still the, cooking. But put those uh, put those things on there for a couple hours. Spritzed them with uh, apple cider vinegar every twenty minutes for the next hour. Hit that four hour mark. You know, went another forty five minutes. Added that barbecue sauce. Thirty minutes later, took them off, wrapped them. I gotta tell you guys, it's it's, it's uh. It's a great time of year, and uh, I am really, really enjoying this uh, this smoke life, man. Uh, yep. Smoke meat every day is uh, is the the way of life, and I'm enjoying it. I got a question for you, Kip. I, I need a true answer right here. Have you sat in and watched the barbecue pitmasters marathon yet? I have not, but I feel like I'm in it, man. I feel like I'm I'm ready to compete. <laughs> when you get down on a Sunday and you knock down about ten hours of that. And every 30 minutes you hear slow and low. Uh, you, or money muscle. Or money you're, muscle. You're, or money muscle. You hear money muscle every breath. You will be, be official, man, when you watch I it. love slow and low, man. That's like my favorite thing now. Every every During the week, you know, it's it's throw a steak on there. You can get that done, you know, nice and quick. But when we get toward Friday, slow and low is the way to go, man. And I'm loving it. And it's, it's an excuse to... To knock back some carbonated beverages too, usually. So that's that's kind of that's kind of my go-to. Yeah, I've, Rusty, I haven't done the ten-hour thing. I've had about four though, and uh, I think I heard Myron Mixon say "money muscle" about four times in one sentence one once before. So that uh, that barbecue life, man, it's awesome. I think we're gonna lose Kip at some point to uh, to barbecue competitions. Going to at some point, we're gonna he's gonna pull up with a trailer and 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 probably like him and Guna and, and Amp and somebody just down in Moultrie, down in get the the big pig and the jig, whatever down in South Georgia. They're just gonna cook all weekend, and we can let them do a podcast from down there one night. 
Oh man, I'd I'd love to hear Goon on a podcast. Amp too. I'd I'd like to see. I'd like to hear them get after each other a little bit. But that's a little bit of that's a little bit of the dogs two four seven junkyard family there. Uh, and and we definitely love those guys. But all right, well, let's talk about the scrimmage for a second. And you know, based on the buzz, buzz I heard, buzz you heard, Rusty, buzz Kirby Smart even put out there. I mean, he, he, by the way, probably one of the most probably the happiest I've ever seen him after a scrimmage. I mean, he bounces in there with this win with win t-shirt from Isaiah wins camp and, and, you know, seemed pretty jazzed up about how well that scrimmage went. And, you know, there, there are always, you know, different temperaments you can tell with a coach, but you don't ever know exactly how to feel when a coach seems like he's pretty upbeat and pretty happy about something because those guys aren't happy about a lot. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that the passing game seemed to win the day. And, and, Listen, if if it's obviously a concern from us from on the outside, then it's probably a concern of the coaching staffs on the inside. And and the fact that they came out of that scrimmage, Rusty, you reported that that it seemed like you know, based on what you were hearing that the first team offense got the better of the first team defense. That's huge because that first team defense is talented and and you want to see the offense start to hum in that second scrimmage. Um, what I was hearing basically was that everything was crisp and and that the big plays that were made in the passing game were a result of execution, that the, that the passing game was executed, everybody was comfortable, they were in sync, and, and those are the type of things you want to hear. And we're not going to go deep into all these observations and everything we're hearing about the scrimmage. We're going to focus on this one part. And Rusty, hearing that coming out of the scrimmage, hearing Kirby say that coming out of the scrimmage, I mean, what, what does that mean for, for Georgia going into the season? I had, um, I would say, a very trusted football knowledgeable source there that I would say I trust. And, you know, I talked with him after and he told me, he said, listen, you know, it was extremely hot. He said, man, I was sitting in the shade and it was hot. And he said, as the day went on, Georgia's offense imposed their will on the defense and they kept making big plays. In fact, they did the Hail Mary, um, Hail Mary drill from the 50 four times and Georgia scored twice on those four plays. And I don't want to put anybody in panic mode, but take the positive out of that is Georgia was lined up with six, five, six, five, and six, three guys. And they scored twice on those four plays. So that's what kind of day it was for the offense. I'm not saying panic mode about the defense or whatever, but I think Georgia's offense under James Coley, it's clicking a little bit more than maybe I thought it would early. Maybe anybody would. So I see it as a positive, man. And, and they got some playmakers, and we could go in, into it all. You know, what we want to talk about, George Pickens, another 40-yard touchdown pass, a couple of wow plays I heard. But uh, I, if I'm going to take one thing away, two different sources that don't even know each other told me the same thing. Demetrius Robinson had a hell of a day, and that's very good news for Georgia. I tell you what, it, it speaks a lot uh, to to Demetrius. I think, and and I wrote this in in my uh, depth chart projection that he he moves to the slot position, practice outside all year long last year. Okay, moves to the slot position, three, four, five practices left to go in the spring, and it looks like he is by a a comfortable margin going to be Georgia's starting slot receiver this year. And and listen, I know. Uh, Kiaris Jackson and, and Dominic Blaylock are going to play a lot, and, and that's just going to be part of it. And Demetrius may still get some looks on the outside, especially when they want to take some shots downfield on the outside because of his speed. But it says a lot about him as a player uh, to push through all that he pushed through last season and to not necessarily meet expectations. I don't know if he met his own or not. It, it said a lot to me whenever he answered every single question after a disappointing SEC championship game and basically pointed the finger at himself saying, you know, I, I wasn't better than the guys in front of me. That's why I didn't play. And and for him to do that, I think it says a lot about him and, and, and a lot about his work ethic, a lot about how much he wants to win and how much he'll do whatever is asked of him. Because, you know, playing the slot receiver, I didn't necessarily think it was a great move for him simply because when you have a guy that's that fast and, and listen, Demetrius has got some length too. I mean, this is not the kind of guy that's, he's not a five, nine you know, speedster. He's a six foot, six foot one speedster with some long arms and yes. he can make plays on the outside. I mean, he's probably an outside receiver at his core, but, but he also has the skill set and he's shown that to play inside. And, and it, and it also just goes, 
I also feel good for the kid all the way back to when he committed to Cal and everybody thought he was kind of a prima donna and all that stuff. And you got to know this kid over a two-year period. And he was, yes, sir, no, sir, one of the most engaging kids you've ever met. Um, made me feel uncomfortable calling me sir all the time because I don't necessarily like to be called sir. I'm 36 years old and I don't, you know, I don't like feeling like I'm twice these kids age sometimes, even though I am now. So it's, it's, he's, he's a great kid and, and it's really cool to kind of see him emerge at that spot. Kip, what does it say to you that, that coming out of this, coming out of this past scrimmage, the passing games, the talk, and, and, and it, it seems like some things are clicking. You want the, I mean, that's what you want. I mean, obviously, at the beginning of camp, you expected Kirby not to be happy with the effort. I mean, one, that's typically that's how Kirby Smart's always going to be. But beginning of camp, you got to set that, you know, that tempo, that example. Let these guys know that you had your summer. I mean, you guys have these expectations. You got to live up to them. This is the part of the you know, camp where you want him to, to be a little bit more pleased. You don't want him to be happy early on and then – Toward the end of camp, everybody starts dragging. So, overall, you know, this is what we were looking to see. Everyone talks about havoc plays on defense. For me, you know, flip the flip the script there and look on offense. Where are these havoc, these explosive plays going to come from on the offense? You know, especially after the guys that are gone from last year. We've talked about this on the podcast multiple times. Demetrius being a guy that we're looking to because. He has that extra gear. I mean, you know, Tyler Simmons, you know, Karis Jackson, uh, you know, these are the guys that need to be stepping up and filling that void, uh, being able to stretch the field and seeing Demetrius Robertson, you know, have some positive pub and, and have good reports coming out of this fall camp is really good news for Georgia because, again, I mean, they're going to rotate these guys in. There's going to be six, to, you know, six, seven guys that, that play a lot of snaps. Uh, you know, you got freshmen in there like George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock. They're going to have roles. Uh, but you want these guys that have played a lot of football for you, guys that, you know, you know can go out there and, and not have a missed assignment, you know, not run the wrong route and, and get on the same page early on with, with Jake Fromm and, and have some chemistry out there. It, it's big news. It seems like, you know, not just that, but also just, the uh, you know, learning the entire playbook and really buying in on what Kirby Smart wants out of his wide receivers. I think last year was a huge learning experience for, for Demetrius. And again, from a, from a blocking standpoint, you know, just from an overall scheme standpoint, you're seeing what you wanted to see out of Demetrius. And, you know, just looking overall at the offense, I think the one thing that, uh, you know, a lot of guys get guilty of, uh, you know, reading the press clippings, and I think if you look at the offensive line earlier in camp, that was one of those things where it looked like this group had already, you know, felt like they'd already won. They already were getting the Joe Moore award at the end of the year. Don't worry about it. We're all going to the NFL. You know, the, this is it. And Kirby put them in their place, you know, and, and said in this so-called great wall, you know, he wasn't seeing it. So I, I thought his comments after, you know, the recent comments saying that he saw more toughness along the offensive line, the fact that they were knocking the defense off the ball and, and getting some hits in there, that had to be really encouraging to see. That's that's what they should be doing. And so to hear Kirby Smart kind of acknowledge that, you know, it has to be seen as a huge positive as we're starting to, you wind down into camp and start to to get ready uh, for season. I mean, for for week one against Vanderbilt. To let folks a little bit inside the ropes here, when when we start to write a story, when I'm writing a story off of a Kirby Smart press conference, okay, I'm looking for you're always looking for the angle of how to write about the story because you want to keep the angles fresh and and keep people going into it. And and this is a quote from Kirby that I couldn't necessarily find a fresh angle on, but I thought was really telling. And somebody who asked who hit the explosive plays. And Kirby Smart says the receivers, a lot of the receivers. Last scrimmage, it seemed like a lot of the backs, the backfield had some big plays. It's It, it was the wideouts as a group. Cager had one. George had one. Tyler had one. Trey Blunt had one. We had several guys have explosive plays. Explosive to me is over 12, 13 yards. Kiaris had a big one. So it seemed pretty balanced on the explosive plays. Okay. It speaks to me. It says a lot to me that, he brought up five guys off the top of his head that had big plays in the scrimmage. 
And and that's not saying that's not even bringing up Demetrius Robertson. That's not even bringing up uh, Dominic Blaylock, who I heard had a had a nineteen twenty yard catch in the scrimmage. So those are the things that is huge for me because it's not like Jake Fromm is is necessarily singling in on the one guy. He's it seems like they have a chance to repeat the dynamic from last year. And listen, it's that's a scrimmage, okay? That Vanderbilt may do a better job of defending Georgia. Vanderbilt's gonna do some things to Georgia defensively that Georgia didn't see out of its own defense. Tennessee, Notre Dame, we're gonna talk about all three of those teams later in the show. But those teams may do some of those things that kind of throw Georgia off a little bit. But the fact that, that Jake Fromm is, is, is not necessarily zeroing in on one guy or having to rely on one guy and has all of those different guys making plays is massive because it just shows that, that he's, he's created some chemistry across the board, and, and that's what you want. I mean, if you, I don't think the philosophy in the passing game is going to change under James Coley from taking what the defense gives them. They're not going to force the ball to a particular receiver because they don't have A.J. Green or Amari Cooper or, or – somebody like that they have a bunch of different guys who are really talented and can make plays whenever the defense presents opportunity to make plays and and Jake Fromm's comfortable playing in that style of offense and I think it's pretty telling there I thought something else was pretty telling too and and something that I think everybody that covers Georgia not covers Georgia football but but follows Georgia football needs to realize and that's the whole wrong route getting on the same page experience issue is listen Everybody's going to want to see George Pickens come out there and catch four or five balls in the first game of the season. Everybody's going to want to see him go out there and catch a dozen to, you know, 20 in the first month. That may or may not happen. And, and if it doesn't happen, we know he's talented. We know he can make the big plays. But, Rusty, I want to get your take on this. It's, it's, it's vital early in the season, especially in these big games. I mean, you want to get yourself in trouble at Vanderbilt – Run George Pickens out there when he's not necessarily ready, and and he he runs an in curl, and he's supposed to run an out curl, and a cornerback jumps the route to the outside uh, to the inside, and and next thing you know, it's it's a pick six going the other way. It's not the quarterback's fault, and and you're down seven nothing or or ten three to Vanderbilt early on when you're not supposed to be. I mean, you, you want to scare early in the season, you want to kind of feel not feel good about your team. That's the kind of thing that, that that's going to happen to make you feel that way. So. That, that's why I think everybody needs to kind of temper their expectations on these youngsters. That's a great point, Jake. And I'll say this, you know, this be no secret uh, for defenses and coaches. If George Pickens is in the game early, most likely he's involved with the play unless Jake checks off with something he sees because these guys are still learning the offense. That's a great point bringing that up because I was told a couple of times because Kirby's mic'd at these things. Uh, saving his voice, and, and he's mic'd, and you can hear him actually coaching during practice. And one of the things that I was told that George ran a couple of wrong routes, a couple of times in the wrong uh, spot in the formation. So that is very, very typical freshman fall camp stuff. So George Pickens is probably going to make some two or three wild plays early in the season, but where he's going to be after the bye week, he'll be another level player. Uh, but you do put guys in like that because they create mismatches and those types of things. He'll get more comfortable as he goes. But this is not something you pick up early. Don't forget, he didn't get here until late May. He did have all summer, but it takes a lot to do. Uh, this guy's learned how to practice right now. But obviously, you see when the when the, when the whistle's blown, the natural ability he has. And, and that's a great point, Jake. And you got to temper it a little bit for these guys and see where these guys are game three and four. They'll be t- Totally different players. And by the time you roll into November, there'll be experienced players on the collegiate level. That's what you want. But I think Dominique Blaylock is going to play. I think George Pickens is going to play. Uh, I'm not going to give away too much because I don't want to get killed over this. But, you know, there was a formation they ran on Saturday that I was told had Kyrus Jackson, Demetrius Robertson, and Dominique Blaylock in as the wide receivers. So that tells me one thing. They're trying to use – Everybody they think that can help them, and if they have to put them all in there together instead of stacking them one, two, and three, uh, they'll do what they got to do. And I like to hear those types of things. I'm telling you, I don't know enough about James Coley's offense. We will all know sooner than later, but I'm excited to see what I'm hearing. Sounds like Georgia's going to be a lot more of a vertical threat. They're not going to reinvent the wheel. They're going to run the football. But I think they're going to take more shots down the field than you saw under Jim Chaney. 
Yeah, that I think that's a safe assumption, and I think Coley kind of uh, told us basically that there's going to be some ambiguity in terms of what his offense is going to look like because he's going to tailor it to his personnel, and it's probably going to change throughout the season as guys grow and as he develops this guy who can do this well and that guy who can do that well. Uh, the the offense is going to change, and and another thing I bring up is 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 you know is a part of that whole you know freshman thing. It's it's the whole idea that that as a high school player, th- these guys when 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 they weren't running deep routes, their quarterbacks were told put it on him. You know you don't have to lead him into a spot. You don't have to throw him open. Just put it where he can catch it, and he'll beat the other guy and and make the catch. Well, that's not that's not a good a sound philosophy in the SEC. Not not with a freshman there. There are some guys who can you can do that with, but ultimately. You know, you you've got to be on the same page as your quarterback because there's less margin for error. There's even less at the NFL level where it becomes imperative that you throw guys open and put it a foot inside or a foot outside. And and uh, you know, those are the kind of things that these freshmen are going to have to learn. And and sometimes they have to learn by experience. They have to learn by getting chewed out on the sideline after running a wrong route because they don't necessarily hear it like they need to hear it in practice. And and all of these le- lessons are going to be learned over the next, you know, four or five, six weeks. And, and uh, you know, Georgia has that advantage of two bye weeks, which I think is really important when you start talking about some of the young players on this team, especially at outside linebacker and uh, and wide receiver. Let's start talking about the schedule a little bit, and we're going to kind of break down. We couldn't really break down the first month of the season simply because, listen, we're not um, – as, as much as, as we're going to hear Kirby Smart respect the opponent and – Talk about Arkansas State, and and uh, I'm even I'm drawing a blank on who else they play. Uh, Murray State, is that right? Yeah, I believe it's Murray State. Right. Kirby, I mean, he's not gonna. I mean, listen, we're not gonna we're not gonna spend time breaking down those teams, but we do want to talk Vandy. We want to talk uh, uh, Notre Dame, obviously, and we want to talk about Tennessee, Georgia's first three Power Five opponents of the year. And Rusty, we've we've each each taken an assignment here and kind of looked up some stuff and gotten familiar with these teams. Rusty, kick us off with Vanderbilt and kind of what you see uh, from from Georgia in the season opener and what you see from the opponent. I, the first thing I'll mention is I'm going. I'm fascinated at how many Georgia fans will be there. I mean, I, I'm scared to say what I think, but I want to see how many Georgia fans are actually in that stadium because I'm telling you, I have never had this many people reach out. And I think it's just the excitement around the program. It's a, you know, it's a holiday weekend. I think it's popular because we're going to be there. Um, I think everybody's excited about seeing us knock on wood. And uh, you know, it's Nashville, it's Georgia. It's a night game. I mean, it's an easy, easy thing to get to from everybody on this side of the state up there. So I'm excited to see how many Georgia fans are going to be there. I know they're, they've been prideful in, in, in doing these takeovers on these stadiums that everybody knows the Notre Dame story. But I'm telling you right now, this is going to be historic, in my opinion, for Georgia fan base in a visiting stadium. Looking at them, obviously it starts with the loss of Kyle Shermer, the quarterback last year, who's gone on to the NFL, I believe. And the play is going to, this team, I think everything is going to come down to the play of their quarterback. They got Ball State transfer, Riley Neal, and also Deuce Wallace, who are battling for this position. And Jake, I think you told me that Derek Mason made the quote, this may go on all season. And that's always kind of bothered me when you're, when you got, look, everybody has opinion on that. But to me, it just feels like you get a guy and you go with him. And I think that's what Georgia did with Jake Fromm. You know, they got a guy, they just went with him. Nobody was ever to knock him off. Uh, once he's gotten a job, but I think, you know, players around you get more confident. So my first concern is not sure they got an alpha right now. We'll see how they're probably going to let that play out on the field. And Georgia's not really the type of defense that you want to start testing things out. It'd be interesting to see who they throw out there first uh, against Georgia in that opener. They got seven returning starters on offense. I tell you what, I got a chance to watch them on the sidelines last year in Athens, and I, and I kind of noticed one thing. Vanderbilt has gotten bigger, and it's kind of, you know, looking at them in person now, their second team and some of their reserve guys, you could tell uh, they don't quite have the depth that other SEC schools have, but I'm telling you, up front, they were big, and I remember, Kip remembers this name, uh, Devin Cochran at a GAC, who was a big six foot seven offensive tackle that needed to gain some weight, needed to get stronger and all that. Well, here he is, man. He's starting, you know, starting left tackle for them, and he's six seven, like 330 or whatever now, um, and they got uh, – 
they got a, a great running back in Keyshawn Vaughn, who's a guy that I, I got to see up close last year. Really like him. Uh, they got a wide receiver that turned down the NFL. That they had some guys there. So when you look at Vandy, they're a little bit opposite last year. Where they return all the defensive guys. They return mostly their offensive side of the ball. They return five starters on defense, but they only have they were, they lost all five of their top. They lost five of their top tacklers on defense. They also returned five guys on that side of the ball. So could be a little learning curve over there. I think Vandy, not only how they play against Georgia, but how they finish this year is going to come down to quarterback play. I had a um, you know a college coach tell me one time, if you don't have a quarterback, man, you're in trouble. And I don't know they don't have one, but it worries me a little bit that right now they're going to have to play it out on the field. So that shows you at some point there's probably some inconsistencies on both. So we'll see which one they, they tried out there against Georgia. I tell you, a game like this, hot, uh, you know, summertime, this is a game where Georgia wears on you. And I think this second, I, I think Vandy can make this a game for half. I really do. Uh, they got a great coach in Derek Mason, but I think Georgia in the second half just kind of kind of wears you down. Never forget being at South Carolina, South Carolina last year, a game that I thought was going to be really close. And, you know, I took some heat on the board. And for one half, it was pretty close. But I'm going to tell you something. The second half came out, and Georgia had three drives for scores, and South Carolina went 0, 0 for 3, 3, 3 and outs. You could tell that Georgia was sucking the life out of South Carolina, and this could very well be another one of those games of second half where Georgia's body size just takes the game over. i tell you what. If you're a Vanderbilt fan, you've got to kind of be the man, you know, screaming at the ra- screaming at the rain right now because – you you have all these skill guys, you Jared Pinkney and and Kalaja Lipscomb and and Keyshawn Vaughn, yeah. and you lose your quarterback. Like and it. so and it almost if you could if you just brought Shermer back for one more season, I think they would be a as good of a Vandy offense as we've probably seen since Jay Cutler. I, I don't think Shermer's in that league as far as talent goes, but they they have some of the best skill talent I've ever seen at Vanderbilt. Maybe the best skill talent I've ever seen at Vanderbilt. And they just don't have the experience at quarterback, and it's all going to depend on whether you know whoever they brought in or, or whoever earns the starting job uh, is going to be able to to do that. My team's Notre Dame. Uh, I, I I was assigned Notre Dame on this, and and basically, listen, this is to me one of the more puzzling teams on Georgia's schedule. I know they made the college football playoff last year. I know they returned their quarterback, and that to me screams this is going to be a good football team. But there's some elements of Vanderbilt. I mean, sorry, there's some elements of this Notre Dame football team that have me a little bit off, okay? And it starts at receiver where they bring some guys back, but they lost Miles Boykin. They lost some of their big playability. I like their offensive line, but they also didn't, they also lost a lot at running back. And so I'm wondering the keys to that offense come down to are they going to be able to replace Miles Boykin in the passing game? Are they going to be able to replace Dexter Williams in the run game? And I think those are two you know, huge things you've got to kind of consider there. They've got the commit kid coming back at tight end who, who is a, a very, very talented tight end, probably just as a t- talented as Elise Jones at that spot. But again, he's banged up. I believe he had a, a fractured clavicle or, or something like that during preseason camp. And so that's going to kind of hamper him to start the season. Will he be 100% uh, you know, there in week four when, when these two teams square off? He probably he, There's a good chance he will be, but missing all the reps and missing everything he's going to miss because of the nature of that injury is going to kind of throw them off. And, and so th- those are the questions I have on offense. On defense, though, I have big-time questions. Because they're going to run edge rusher after edge rusher after you. This Okwara kid they've got is is as good of an edge rusher that's on Georgia's schedule. I mean, this guy was a wrecking ball last year. He he. I mean, I'm telling you, I think in terms of tests for Andrew Thomas and 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 Isaiah Wilson, Okwara is is probably the the number one guy you look at simply because. I mean, he's he's six four. He's two hundred sixty, two hundred seventy pounds. He's a he, he's a, he can play the run. He can he can rush the passer. He, he's got power. I mean, he's not a one trick pony in terms of he's just trying to run around you. This guy can can put his hat in your chest and blow you straight but straight back into the quarterback. He can play the run. He can do all those things. But you lose Jerry Tillery on the in, interior, and not only that, you lose the guys behind him. Trevon Coney was a big time linebacker for them. And I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I know I've mentioned it on our site. 
man, if you will read some of Brian Kelly's comments about their linebackers, I mean, I don't want to say pessimistic. I don't want to say, but it's it's borderline glass half empty there. I mean, it's he's almost kind of conceding the fact that it's going to take some time for those guys to start playing at a championship level because they lost so much at linebacker. They lost uh, the Drew Tranquil kid that was kind of a hybrid linebacker safety star type guy, the guy that picked off Jake Fromm in 2017. Uh, they lost him to the NFL draft, and he was a tackling machine for them. I like what they bring back in the secondary, but that linebacking core has me a little bit concerned because I think that when you're playing against a team like Georgia, uh, if you're able to up front, and, and I'm not sure they're even able to because they don't have the quality of interior guys they had last year, if you can tie up blocks, well, your linebackers, you're going to need to do that, and you're going to need your linebackers to run flee, free and tackle well because Georgia's running backs aren't easy to tackle before you can get have any chance to stop in this offense because if you can't stop the run, you're not stopping Georgia. And so that to me, that is that is one of the things I'm I'm really interested to see from this Notre Dame team early on because uh, that's a huge question mark linebacker and interior defensive line play because they're going to run edge rushers at you and they're they're talented edge rushers they're really good uh, but but Notre Dame also has this little thing of of being a better football team maybe than you than you expect and so I think that's something you have to kind of watch out for too they're going to be good on special teams Tony Pride Jr. I'm sorry not Tony Pride uh, um uh maybe it is Tony Pride I, I, I they have a running oh yeah Tony Pride that's his name is the uh, is the cornerback one of the biggest freak show cornerbacks on Georgia's schedule I mean this cat's he's big he's as fast as they get I'm you know a sub 4-4 guy he's going to be I think uh, probably a, a a pro prospect next year a top 50 pick and and you know losing Julian Love isn't necessary because they got Jalen Elliott come on coming on there as well. Losing Julian Love at cornerback, a Thorpe Award finalist, isn't necessarily going to be as big of a loss as Jerry Tillery and, and Trayvon Coney there on the interior. And Tillery was a first round pick, so that those are my concerns for for Notre Dame. But ultimately, they've got they've got some they've got good players. They're going to come into Athens looking for payback over the game two years ago when Georgia went over there, took over that stadium. What I don't think is going to happen, though, is I don't think Notre Dame is going to get the opportunity to take over Sanford Stadium quite like quite like Georgia did. I think Georgia fans are going to be holding on to those tickets and and and, and showing out for that game. Kip, what do you have on uh, what do you have on Tennessee? What what do you know about the balls and and kind of expectations for them? And Georgia gets them after a bye week, and and they have the bye week before Georgia. Yeah, and but but at the same time, they're going to be coming off that Notre Dame game. You know, you have that emotional high. Uh, everyone's got that Notre Dame game just earmarked on their schedule, the biggest non-conference game of the season by most accounts, and then. You come off that, then you head into Knoxville. It's going to be a completely different environment. Uh, you know, you're looking at what they're going to do in that, in that, you know, the second year under Jeremy Pruitt. And one thing that can really, you know, do a good job of disguising maybe some deficiencies on your roster is improved quarterback play. And, you know, I'm looking at Georgia's schedule overall, and it's, you know, two teams kind of stand out to me in that mind. That's Tennessee and Texas A&M. When you just look at what they have, you know, at start the the starting quarterback position, that can make your team look a lot better than, than maybe they really are. And, you know, Jared Garantano did a great job of taking care of the football last year and a great job of, you know, just extending plays with his legs. And, and that's really kind of what stands out to me about this Tennessee team is not only – you know, does he come back another year in the system, you know, you know, playing in the SEC, but also his receiving core. I mean, it, it, if you want to draw up what you look for in an SEC receiving core, Tennessee has it. I mean, uh, they've got some got some dudes out there that, that really stand out and, and not just that, but they have great size. I mean, Marquez Callaway, you know, out of Georgia, great size from him. Uh, Juwan Jennings seems like he's been there a decade now, you know, made famous for, for, for catching that Hail Mary uh, and beating, uh, Georgia in 2016. You know, those guys have played a lot of football now. And then yet, you know, you have Brandon Johnson coming back healthy as well. You have Josh Palmer. That's another guy with great size. These guys, Marquez Colley, 6'2", 200 pounds. You, you know, uh, you, you look at Josh Palmer, 6'2", 200 pounds. 
Jawan Jennings, again, all these guys have great size. Then you also have Dominic Wood Anderson, a tight end coming back, 6'4", 260 pounds. So Jared's got some some guys he can throw the ball up to, and, and you know they can come down and make that play. That that's going to give him a lot of confidence heading into the season, and and they've probably got this game. You know, they've got this game marked as well because they know they're getting overlooked. Georgia's looking at Notre Dame. That's a big game. You know, Kirby Smart's going to have to have his team focused coming off what potentially could be a season-defining win early on and go into a hostile environment and, and play a major uh, SEC East division game that that is going to have a lot of implications. I mean, Tennessee, Florida, these guys are going to be trying to push Georgia in the East. This is their Tennessee statement game, and, and they're going to try to catch Georgia, you know, on their heels a little bit. Uh, the my I guess my question is, uh, when I look at this Tennessee team is, uh, you know, is Trey Smith going to be healthy? Because that offensive line looks a lot different with him in there. What, you know, if it's at left guard, left tackle, uh, the whole the whole front five looks different. If if he's not out there, then you know they're going to have to trot a, a true freshman out there, at, probably at left tackle and, and Wang Yi Morris, and and then they're going to have to move. Uh, you know, they're going to have to to move some guys around in order to to get their best five in the field. I just think uh, you know that's a different proposition asking a guy to come in and, and start as a true freshman at left tackle. So, you know, that's kind of my main question mark with them uh, offensively, defensively. You know, they got some talent coming back. You know, Daniel Batuli, the inside linebacker, is a solid guy as well. But just like Florida, they've had, a, you know, a lot of injuries, especially on that defensive line. You know, are they going to be able to get a push up front? Uh, that's my kind of my biggest question mark with the, with the group they have coming back. I like some of their young guys in the secondary. I think they got some, uh, you know, some from some freshmen and sophomores that are kind of uh, emerging the this fall camp. I like true freshman Warren Burrell. I think uh, he's a guy that's really had a great uh, fall camp from everything I've heard and could be p- pushing to potentially start there his first season. A guy that, Russ, I know you really liked him coming out of high school. He's a guy that was kind of, you know, underrated a little bit coming out of high school. So I, I think they have some some young talent in the secondary, uh, but it's really going to come down to that defensive line. I'm not sure that, that they have the guys right now, and I really think injuries have kind of taken them down a peg. Uh, but, again, Jeremy Pruitt, a, a guy that is going to put his stamp on the program this season, I think it's something that, you know, Kirby Smart really has to keep an eye on coming out of this Notre Dame game. I tell you what, whether you're talking about their players or their coaches or whatever, 43 to nothing or 41 to nothing, the last time Georgia visited uh, Neyland Stadium, that's going to reverberate. That's going to be the talk of that week. Uh, if there's not some signs up in that building, I, I don't know if, if you know, the, the staff's pulling the right strings. And not only that, golly, at the coaching staff r- relations there, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, Tracy Rocker, uh, Kevin Scherer, all coaching at Georgia. John Lilly on staff there. They have uh, well, John uh, Lilly so, at Cleveland Brown. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I, I thought John Lilly was still at, in in uh, in Knoxville. Tight end coach. Also, you got Brian Niedermeyer, who was at Georgia for a while, who is the tight end coach at Tennessee. Okay, I got you. And then at Georgia, you've got some crossover there, too. I mean, you've got Charlton Warren, who spent some time at Tennessee. Uh, uh, I'm trying to – there's an uh, – you had, you had Jim Chaney. You got uh, Sam Pittman, who spent a year at Tennessee. I mean, there there is a lot of – there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, and it's, this is typical in the SEC, especially when you're talking about two Nick Saban coaching trees, is there's just a lot of a lot of back and forth there in terms of coaches that have been at both places and – Knoxville is going to be very familiar to some of the coaches on Georgia staff. And, and uh, you know, this Georgia football team is going to be f- familiar to some of those coaches on the Tennessee staff, especially Kevin Scherer, who, who was, you know, here two years after, uh, after Kirby Smart took over, was a part of Kirby's original staff. And uh, that, that'll all be fun to watch. And th- those, are the, those are the first three games that we're going to break down on Georgia's schedule. And, and we'll probably get to the rest of them either before the season starts or maybe during that bye week and start moving on to the month of October. Uh, but before we start talking about those. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's move on to recruiting. Georgia gets a big commitment over the over the weekend, a late-night commitment. We got uh, got to give Cedric some some props here. He didn't hold us hostage all night long. He, he kind of went uh, fairly on time there. But Saturday night, Georgia gets a commitment. Four-star offensive lineman Cedric Van Pran. Uh, Sam Pittman goes out of state, gets snatches another big-time kid out from under another SEC team's opponent's nose. Uh, it, it's pretty incredible at this point. And, and Kip, I'm going to go to you first here on this one. Cedric, what, what kind of player is Georgia getting there, and, and what kind of uh, – how did this one play out? What's the background here? Well, first off, I'm going to take a Wager props for Cedric. Holding, <laughs> he didn't hold us hostage on Saturday. But he damn sure held me hostage on Friday. He was supposed to put it out there that he was announcing on Saturday. He let me know. I mean, I got word a, a you know a week earlier and and let you know let Rusty know what I was hearing. But Friday he was supposed to put it out there uh, that he was planning on announcing. And uh, I asked, you know, I believe it was supposed to be uh, 6 p.m. And gosh, 7 p.m. rolls around. I'm like, hey Cedric, what well, how's it going? And he uh, he texted me and said, "My bad, man. I fe- I fell asleep in a nap and just woke up. So I'm not I'm taking away his props because I I sat here at the laptop, you know, ready to run that uh that he was announcing on Saturday, and and uh you know that was rough, man. We're talking at Friday evening. That's prime time for us. That's you know it's uh, the weekend's coming, and we we think we're gonna get a little bit of downtime. Uh, you know, I'm ready to fire up." that Kamado Joe and, and, and get to smoking. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting here waiting on Cedric. So uh, I'm taking away those props, but I, I will give those props back to Sam Pittman. As I said, I mean, number three prospect in the state of Louisiana, according to the 24 seven sports uh, composite kind of completing that offensive line class with uh, the number three center in the country, beating out in state LSU, 20 other programs, for a guy that, you know, Georgia had some momentum in with over the summer. He uh, originally was going to visit in, in late June, wasn't able to, to make that trip, but did come back, you know, uh, there in late July. And and Sam Pittman was, again, able to knock it out of the park for a guy that 6'4", 300 pounds. You know, what, what more can you ask for for a guy who actually plays center in high school and and, and you know, really kind of just relishes. He enjoys playing the position, knows that, again, he's going to cross-train a guard as well, but but knows that, that center is his future, already has experience there. So that's great for, you know, just making those O-line calls and, and really just, you know, snapping the football. I mean, having that experience and, and knowing, you know, how, how to handle that and, and also just uh, – Great power. The film that I show, that show for him, he's a guy that that does great with hand placement, can really you know get that initial punch, and uh, a, a, another win for for Sam Pittman. When you look at the five guys in this class, and all have great size between Tate Ravage, Broderick Jones, uh, Chad Lindbergh, Josh Braun, and Cedric Van Pran, all guys that are six four over and and, and right up you know 300 to, to 330 pounds uh that's you know that's probably got sam Pittman drilling a little bit that's what he wants and and it's, it's what he gets it's incredible the the o-line group he's already got right now and the, the one he continues to build in athens yeah and and i i think i think that that getting a guy like cedric van pran is is huge to, to kind of to borrow a, a phrase from the dude in, in uh, the Big Lebowski, it just ties the room together. You know, it just it, this thing just holds, it just ties the whole unit together because you've got four guys who can play tackle. You've got probably four guys who can also play guard. And basically, you've signed an offensive line in this class. And that, to me, is is always big because if you're if you're in a situation where you're going to sign three guys or four guys, you're always kind of left as a, as a coach trying to figure out, well, 
did I get the right number of guys who can play interior? Did I get a guy who can play center? Because Georgia did that a few years ago. If you look back at that 2017 class, and we can talk about how great this class is on paper, and that's fine. I have a hard time going ahead and putting it ahead of the 2017 class because Georgia's got you know two stud offensive tackles out of that class and and uh and and another another guy that was supposed to be able to come in and play right away that hasn't exactly panned out largely in part to how good those two young offensive tackles were uh they got Notori Johnson who's now on the defensive side but was super highly thought of on the interior and then Justin Schaefer who's kind of been a Swiss army knife for Georgia on the interior but they didn't get a center in that class and I'm not saying they're paying for it because Trey Hill's going to be pretty good and he's got a chance to kind of bail them out a little bit but that class is a lot better if they get a really good center in that class. And, and I think that's something you'll see Georgia do more of here going forward. Three out of every four years, four out of every five, they're going to sign somebody they feel like projects to play the center position and, and can kind of keep the competition going there. And I think that's where Van Pran comes in as he really ties this thing together. Rusty, real quick, what, what are your thoughts on Van Pran? Is there anything to kind of that you may be seeing him that, that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot? You know, the one thing – uh, and I'll be short. I knew he was a very, very, very high priority for Sam Pittman. I go through it. I just watched a little bit of tape the other night. Just watched a little bit of tape. And Jake, you kind of an old line guy. Kind of, kind of appreciate that thing. I want you to watch his hips and how he's able to move around and sell off blocks and come through his hips. Just to get a little bit technical, um, I can see right now why he, why he's a guy for Georgia. I mean, he comes off the ball. Uh, he's reaching the three technique as a center, which is very hard to do, and sealing off blocks and second-level blocking. And, man, look, Georgia's recruiting alpha guys um, at the offensive line. Now, I just watched probably one minute of his tape the other night, and I was like, man, that is that's damn impressive. And I can see why Sam Pittman uh, put him above others. Tell you what, the highest compliment I, I always pay offensive linemen is I think it could be a quality defensive lineman, and he has the hips and the explosiveness to do that. He really does, and he, he works low to high exactly like you want that kind of guy to do. And like you said, center reaching a three technique, yeah. I, I don't I don't care if you're doing it against a 220-pound kid. If you can keep that kid from penetrating and seal him off, that's, that's impressive. I, I mean, it doesn't matter – who you're blocking because that that's tough and and it's that's a long way to go and then you've got to try to get your body in the right position and that's hard for anybody to do something you really can't coach and and uh you know cedric has it uh closing this thing up rusty you got corky kale this week uh i know you you got a busy day coming up as far as that as, as from what i understand uh well, what's going on there and and you know what should georgia fans be on the watch out for with this first big big weekend or big week of, of high school football in the state of georgia uh, yeah, man. Thursday, calling two games Thursday night, calling two games Friday night, and calling two games Saturday. So I'm going to get a, a quick fix of high school football. But I think it all starts Thursday night, and I think it'll be a, a, a major, major audience in. It'll be the number one team in the state in 7A, uh, Marietta Blue Devils versus Rome, who is the number two team in 5A. And, you know, last year Rome beat on 51-41. Uh, Eric Gilbert had three fumbles in that game, the only three fumbles he had all year. And, uh, you know, I talked to him a little bit at school the other day about it. And he said, man, it's, it's weighed heavy on me. And we've all covered high school football here. We all know the tradition of Tucker and how good and how tough Tucker always is. It was 42 to nothing at halftime of the night versus Tucker. So if you don't think Rome knows, they're about to buckle it up and face one of the best teams they have. And I, this is a different Marietta team. They got a bunch of big linemen, but. Uh, you know, for Georgia fans, they're going to watch. Obviously, they're going to be watching Eric Gilbert uh, closely. Uh, a kid named Daniel Martin, who's a six-one sophomore corner. I know he likes Georgia a good bit. So, there's a lot going on this weekend. Uh, probably get Kip touch more on uh, later this week with new podcast. But you know, there'll be a game between Barrett Carter at linebacker North Gwinnett versus Dejon Edwards running back Coca County. That'll be the three thirty primetime game. It's pretty cool. That's actually going to be on CBS forty six. That's going to be a network game next Saturday. So when you tune in at 3.30, you're not going to get an SDC game, but you're going to get a high school football game in the state of Georgia, which is very, very cool. First time I've ever done that on a network. That'll be North Gwinnett versus Colquitt County. So that'll be fun to watch. But, uh, you know, high school football starts uh, th this week. Real games. The first game in the state of Georgia will be at 5.30 on Thursday. It'll be Calhoun versus Ridgeland. So, you know, doing these, doing these conference calls, these coaches, man, it's fun to hear them talk, especially their six first time. 
or five first-time head coaches, man, you listen to those guys. And, you know, I know they think they got a clue, really don't have a clue uh, what's about to hit them, but it's fun to listen to them. And uh, that's what separates the state of Georgia, man. I, I talk to college coaches all the time. I tell people all the time, the state of Georgia has the best group of high school coaches in the country. And number one, they pay them. Uh, if not best, just as good as anybody in the country. So that's where it starts. Excited about this weekend. And it gets started tomorrow, Corky Kell, uh, Corky Kell Luncheon in Rome on Tuesday. So I'll get a chance to speak with Eric Gilbert again. Again, I don't think he's close to making a decision. I do think, if you're asking me right now, I do think even with B.J. O'Jalori and Harrison Bailey verbally committed to Tennessee right now, I think Alabama is a team that's trending a little bit. But he's going to watch Georgia, and he's going to watch Tennessee and see if they're going to do what they say they're going to do with their tight ends. What uh, what network will you be calling these games on? Uh, the Both Thursday night games are on Peachtree TV, the Atlanta uh, CBS affiliate, Peachtree. Friday night will be Peachtree. Uh, like I said, we come back in on Saturday, and, man, that 46 game on CBS is going to be very cool. I'll actually be calling that one. So no nerves there. I'll give you all guys a shout-out, but – um, that'll be cool. That'll be cool uh, to do that uh, with CBF for the first time ever. I know Corky Kell and those guys are extremely excited, and that game was put in prime time for a reason. Uh, Coke with the new head coach, uh, North Gwinnett with a great coach and Bill Stewart, so looking forward to that. I'm going to tell you this, the Colquitt County staff, who is very, very good, uh, Amp's going to love to hear that, they are super excited about this 2022 wide receiver. We're going to talk more about him later this week, but, I mean, they're throwing around some – some real deal comparisons about this guy. I mean, like, I mean, they're talking AJ Green type dude. So excited to see him this weekend, and we'll have more of that. We'll do a complete, uh, you know, preface to it and get you uh, get you a guide to uh, maybe get Kip to do that because Kip can do it right. Get you a guide to who to look for this weekend. Well, uh, if you guys want it, get get it trending on Twitter. We want to see a uh, Chris Collinsworth slide in from Rusty. <laughs> on, uh, on these broadcasts, we want to see a, a real deal slide in this man face for TV type thing. But uh, uh, I got a teleprompter too, man. I'm gonna be drawing. It's gonna be on. It is going to be on. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's it for this episode of Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jake Rowe. With me has been Kip Adams, Rusty Mansell. This has been the Junkyard Dogcast, and uh, everybody take care. Happy birthday, Kip. Mm-hmm.